All right. So we are continuing our uh, series on the book of Genesis. Now we're dealing with the life of Joseph Kiok. No, not Joseph Kiok. Just Joseph. Joseph of the Bible. Uh, I was texting Joseph yesterday. Oh, he actually he texted me yesterday, yesterday morning. He was asking me the title of the message. And when I told it to him, he was really happy. And he said he would buy me lunch because it was about him. <laughs> no, so today we're going we're gonna to study Genesis 41. And we're going we're gonna to do a lot of reading this morning. Are you guys ready? Yeah, Nate was dreading this because we were reading like 60 verses or something like that. No, the 51. No, but I, I, I uh, edited the verses. You'll get the gist of the story. <clears throat> Am I going through puberty again? <laughs> my, my voices. Genesis 41. Um, okay, so we're reading selected verses. Just follow with me on the slide. So I, I sort of summarized it. Um, let's read. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, they, there came out, up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, like me. And they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. This is kind of a creepy dream, right? Those zombie cows coming out. And the ugly thin cows ate up the seven attractive plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep again and dreamed a second time. And then Pharaoh awoke again. And behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called after all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. So as Bien mentioned last week, they were big into dream interpretations at the time. So he called everyone. He told him his dreams, but there was no one who could, who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in, and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, um, we dreamed on the same night, he and I each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving us an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and quickly they brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of the Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming 
and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the tro throne, throne, I will be greater than you. And that is God's word. So today we're going to look at four things, right? Um, the whole, as I mentioned earlier, the, the, the main topic of the study is faithfulness and mainly Joseph's faithfulness. So we'll look at four, we'll, we'll look at the scripture under four headings. First, we'll look at faithfulness. Well, first, we'll define it, right? It's good that we know the word that we're trying to discuss. And then after we define faithfulness, we're going to look at Joseph's faithfulness. And then we're going to look at God's faithfulness. And then we're going to try to figure out how those two things relate to our faithfulness, right? So really, the question we want to answer today and we want to ask is, how do we become faithful people, right? How do we become faithful people? Ask that with me, church. How do we become faithful people so let's let's look at the word faithful first before we want to become it okay. um, so faithfulness right did, did you guys know that faithfulness is a facet of the fruit of the spirit yes right so in, in Galatians that's part so I say facet because the fruit of the spirit is one thing so when your character grows when you become more and more like Jesus you grow in love, you look, grow in faithfulness, self-control, and all of those things. So faithfulness is, in Scripture, a facet of the fruit of the Spirit, right? And we, we can look at faithfulness um, in two ways, right? First, faithfulness as it uh, pertains to relationships, right? So if you're a faithful person in terms of relationships, you are steady. This is from dictionary.com. You are steady in allegiance or in affection you're loyal you're constant right if you're a faithful person in terms of relationship now in terms of duty and stewardship you can also be faithful right you can be strict and thorough in the performance of your given task of your duty right so what's the deal with faithfulness do you guys like this definition of faithfulness right you you, do you want whoa, whoa, whoa. do you want to have faithful people in your lives? Um, it's interesting as I was preparing for this message and thinking about this whole idea of faithfulness, I'm realizing more and more that our culture today is becoming uh, ever steadily more and more bankrupt of faithfulness, right? Have you guys ever heard of Ashley Madison? right so Good, you haven't heard of it. Um, it's this apparently it's this apparently it's the service that allows you to commit adultery uh, randomly with people online. And somebody leaked apparently leaked the people who are signed up for that service. Some of them are pastors. It's kind of creepy. Um, so you know, 
people are celebrating this idea of faithlessness and, and they're calling it good, whereas the Bible wants us to be faithful. Um, how about sports? Um, you guys watch basketball? You watched Golden State yesterday? Who's cheering for Golden State here? Tito Gill, I know you are. 11 years and counting. Is it? That's what, um, Sean and I were watching it the other day. Um, what's interesting with, with sports now is um, the way those you know, top-ranked players work is that they don't stay with their initial teams anymore. Right? They, they go to where they can win a championship. As opposed to back in the day, when you get drafted, your idea is, I'm so good, they drafted me. I'm gonna make this. I'm gonna make this team better. I'm gonna stay until the team wins a championship. Right? That's gone. Now, now players just go anywhere where they can win a championship. That this idea of stewardship, of being faithful with the job that you're given, is is quickly disappearing, even in the workplace. Right? Um, at work, some of my younger coworkers, you know, they. I think they don't know the value of staying late anymore to just to get to give you, you know, to produce a better product. As soon as five o'clock hits, they're out. And if the boss asks them to come over for reason, within reason to work on the weekend, they hate it, right? Because they don't follow through anymore on, on the thing, the task that they're given, right? So our culture is against, is, is quickly losing its grasp of faithfulness, but wouldn't you guys agree that there's something beautiful about being faithful? Yes, right? That's why, that's why we like this movie. We like The Notebook. Anyone here seen The Notebook? Come on, ladies, you all have seen The Notebook. If you haven't seen it, you have to watch it, because I had to watch it. <laughs> Right, but no, no. The the thing that makes people I'm gonna spoil it for those of you who haven't seen it. By the way, the thing about the Notebook is it's it fo it follows the life of this couple all the way up up until they're really old. Well, I'm not really gonna spoil it 100%. But um, at the end of the story, what happens is this guy, who kind of looks like somebody from our D group, um, uh, this guy. Um, what he does is, is he stays with his wife, even though she has an illness, right? Where, when he could have left, he stayed. So that's what gets to people. That's what got to me. I had to cry <laughs> because it, it's just, it's a beautiful, you know, picture of faithfulness, right? You stay until, you know, until death do you part, right? Uh, there's also this idea of faithfulness that's really beautiful that comes from, uh, this story about Cortes, the conquistador. Ever heard of that guy? Well, I think he conquered something, but no, anyway. When he set out, I think he set out to conquer one of the Aztec nations. He had, he didn't have enough men with him. He didn't have enough men. But when they landed on the beach, and even before they landed on the beach, he was giving them all these speeches about how you know, if we conquer this land, we're going to become rich, we're going to become kings, our lives are going to change. Then when they got to the shore, they were all fired up, and the last thing he said was, burn the boats, burn your boats, burn your ships, right? And a lot of, pe a lot of people love this story because it's about, about Cortez's will, uh, his, um, 
his commitment to see the job through, right? He was faithful to the task at hand, so much so that he didn't give himself a way out. He was, he was in it to win it. That's terrible. But, right, he was, he was there to see the job done, and he burned his boats. These are just two uh, illustrations, I think, that begin to show us the beauty of faithfulness, right? So now let's go back to scripture. Let's look at Joseph. Let's read this, these verses. Um, Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God is showing you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. Um, at this point in his life, if we take a snapshot of this moment, what is Joseph? Joseph is mature. He's, he's actually pretty humble because when Pharaoh asked him about interpreting dreams, he did not promote himself. He said, oh, I don't know, but God knows, and I'll ask God to tell you. Right? He's well-tempered. He was very wise. He was... He was you know, smart in organizing things, right? And so because his character was so well developed, I'm sure that he heard from, that he heard from uh, Potiphar that this guy can organize things, right? This guy can, you know, he ran my household, uh, O Pharaoh, so I, I'm pretty sure he's qualified. Um, he was entrusted with great power and responsibility. So the question is, should Joseph at this point be a template for us? Yes? No. Why? No. Why? Because here's the danger when we read scripture. Um, what we normally do is we first look for ourselves in scripture, right? How do I live? How do I become, you know, better? How do, you know, how do I, how do we, how do I become faithful, right? Um, and then so what we do is we begin to extract, uh, we make templates, really. Um, oh, Joseph did this, so I'm going to do that. And Joseph did that, so I'm going to do this. I'm going to try hard to do it. I'm going to do my best to do it. And then after two weeks, what happens? You forget about it or you fail, right? So um, I believe as a rule, the more and more I read scripture, the older I get in the faith, I'm, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm becoming convinced that we as a people should really first look for God in Scripture before we look for ourselves. I think the more, I'm beginning to understand that the more we, we, um, we get to know God, the more we change, right? In the case of Joseph, really, if we, we were to analyze his life, his character was not shaped overnight. So we can't make a template. We can't make a to-do list out of the life of Joseph, right? Why? Because his character at this point was the product of a long process, a very, very long process. Do you remember what he was like when he was younger? Do you remember Pastor Song's sermon? He was terrible, right? He was, he was lying about his brothers, right? Um, he was narcissistic. He was probably a sociopath. All he thought about was himself. He had no conscience. He had a dream, and you know, he knows that his brothers hate him, and he, he would tell them this dream over dinner, much so much so that even his parents are annoyed, right? So 
Did Joseph do anything to change? Did we read anything about him coming up with a plan, realizing one day that, oh, oh my gosh, I'm so selfish and narcissistic. I have to change, so I have to, I have to do this, do that. No, right? What happened to him? He, he, he got sold into slavery. He, he lost everything. He was left for dead. So his character grew out of a process. So that's what we have to see. We can't make a template or a checklist out of the lives of the people in Scripture because our stories are unique, right? And also we have to see some people, some people what they would do is they would twist this part of Scripture and say, see, if you can behave like Joseph, if you can be like Joseph, you too will be the prime minister of an advanced country, right? You will be in, in charge of their storehouses. You will, you will be rich. You will be good looking and all that stuff. No, his opportunities had nothing to do with, with a good life for him, right? Along with the, with the downs, the low, low points of his life, um, all of these were part and provided for because there was a master plan in place, right? What was the master plan that God had in place? To bring about the Messiah. That's the big picture plan. Um, in their context, his plan for this specific season of the life of Israel was um, he was going to save them from this famine that was coming, right? So Joseph went through what he's, he went through because God had a plan for him and his family. And for us, for our own families and our own lives, the story may be different, right? So, so what does that lead us to? We have to look at God in this story, right? Behind the scenes, there's, the, there's a master blacksmith, master builder that's forging the whole story. And if we get to know the heart of God, maybe we begin to understand what he's doing in our own lives. Do you guys agree? Maybe we begin to understand. Um, so let's talk about God, right? God was faithful in terms of his discipline of Joseph, right? We like what Joseph has become, do we not? We want to be like Joseph, do you agree? I want to be like Joseph. I want to be, I don't want to be rich or the ruler of a prime minister, but I want to be someone who is trustworthy, who's, you know, when people say, uh, when people talk about um, my character, I want to be a guy who, who people say is a faithful guy, right? That he, oh yeah, he pays his taxes on time, he tithes. Oh yeah, Edwin, I haven't tithed yet, so I'm sorry. I have, I have forgotten last week's, but next week I'll do it, um, right? I want to be like Joseph. But to be like Joseph, we have to see that behind the scenes, his faithfulness was, as, was a result of God's discipline, right? When we say discipline, what do we mean? Um, God was um, effectively spanking him, right? He was training him. He was building him up. And we'll talk about this more next week. That's for the sermon next week. But, but God, do, do you remember how Joseph ended up um, being imprisoned and all that. So remember, Pastor Insong mentioned that there happened. So Joseph was in. If we go back a few chapters, Joseph was looking for his brothers, right? And then at one point, he um, he was lost. He didn't know where they were. They weren't. His brothers weren't supposed to be 
uh, where, where are they supposed, where supposed to be? Um, and then this guy comes along. He, he just happens to mention that, oh, your brothers, I overheard them say that they were going to Dothan. Who planted that guy? Right? God did. That one moment where a stranger passed by and said, oh, I, I thought I heard your brother say they were going to Dothan. That changed the life of who? Joseph, right? That's where he got, Dothan was the perfect place to murder someone. It was so secluded. All of the chain of events that led to him becoming prime minister of Egypt happened because of that one moment. And who controlled that moment? God, right? And what did God allow him to experience? He, God allowed him to experience hardship. God allowed him to experience suffering and pain, right? So if we were to use Joseph as a template for, for becoming blessed and changing, we should expect suffering along the way, right? But the good thing is suffering, hardship, is actually also part of God's blessing. Excuse me, I'm losing my voice. Uh, wife, can you please get me my tea? Thank you. My lovely wife, everyone. Um, so, uh, thank you. Ah, that is good. So, <laughs> Our definition of blessing sometimes gets really narrow, and we, and we tend to think of blessing only as the good things, but God's blessing sometimes involves his discipline and allowing hardships into our lives. Right? Let's read Hebrews 12, 7 to 11. It is discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. For at the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Doesn't this describe Joseph's life? Right? If God did not step in and discipline Joseph and allowed him to endure hardship and suffering, he would have become a really terrible person. He would not have been fit to, to become prime minister of Egypt, to, to be tasked with the responsibility of saving so many lives, right? The story, that's what it says. Um, he prepared to save a lot of people. So because of God's faithfulness in disciplining Joseph, he was transformed and he was changed. And so we can begin to expect the same thing for us in our lives as believers, correct? So welcome trials, welcome suffering into your lives. Because that is, it's not even, you know how people say, oh, it's a blessing in disguise? No, it's, suffering is sometimes, it's really blatant blessing. It's not in disguise at all. God allows these things into our lives so that we become more and more like Jesus. And to become Jesus is, like Jesus is amazing, right? You're becoming, we are becoming like God. Our character is beginning to look more and more like God's character. And that's amazing, right? Really. Do you guys remember why we fell? What was the lie Satan used? Oh, God doesn't want you to eat that of that fruit because you will become. But what's the truth? God wants us to become 
like him, right? He, when he made us, he started with, let's sort of make them in our image and likeness. And I think his plan was, as we lived with him day by day, we become more and more like him. But Satan is crafty. He used that against us, right? So suffering is a great blessing because we begin to become like Jesus. Um, earlier this year, um, many of you know, we had a daughter. Doki and I had a daughter, Hannah. She was great. She was fun. She was so cute. But she was sick. <clears throat> Starbucks, rescue me. No, I'm not about to cry. That's really my voice cracking. Um, but she was sick. And she passed away like 15 hours later after being born. But that terrible ordeal, I learned so many things about God. There was one thing I learned that I think pertains to all of this. Um, when I was holding Hannah in my arms that night, I was just thinking about her, and, and I was praying to the Lord. I was, I was asking God, Lord, maybe you can heal her. Maybe you can make her better. I realized then my heart towards my daughter, as sinful as I am, as imperfect I, as I am, I realized when I held her in my arms, I wanted the best for her. I wanted her to live. I wanted good things for her. I wanted to buy her a PlayStation 4. What? Well, no, <laughs> all right. Um, for us, right? For so we can spend time together. No, but the Lord didn't allow that. But I gained a little bit because of that moment of suffering. I gained a little bit of insight as to what God's heart is towards us. So I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect, right? All all this stuff. It's for me too to hear, um, and. When I held my daughter in my hands, you know, I realized how good are God's thoughts towards me? How good are they? Right? When I endure something that I don't understand, my father must be allowing that for a purpose. Because I'm imperfect, but he's perfect. So when he when he allows suffering into my life, you know, I I now know that was filtered through a lot of thinking, right? Like you would teach your children not to, you know, eat candy before dinner and stuff like that. God disciplines us, right? So God was faithful in disciplining Joseph, but God was, and God was also faithful to his promise and to his purpose, right? So Aside from, aside from, you know, allowing this, all these events to happen to transform Joseph's character, what else was God doing? God was saving Israel, right? He allowed Joseph to get to where he was because he needed that family to survive, right? Because the, the, the whole point of this is the whole, that region of the world was going to be saved because of Joseph's stewardship. So God was orchestrating things behind the scenes so that the family of Israel will survive. And why do they need to survive, class? Because from them will come who? The Messiah. So God was, when he promised to um, Adam and Eve that one day, you know, there will come a, the, 
the, the savior who will crush the serpent, but he, his heel will, will be bruised and all that. He was just being faithful to that. So, so let's go to Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Let's look at those two words, uh, or three words, sorry. All things and purpose, right? Um, as Christians, we are not immune to suffering, right? Um, if you're a Christian in Syria, would, it, would you be having a good Sunday? Probably not, right? If you're a Christian somewhere in China, also probably not. Or is it Burma too? Burma is pretty bad with Christians. Um, if you're a Christian in Somalia, probably not good Sunday today, right? So many times we use this verse to justify us getting good things from God, right? So sometimes the way we would use this verse out of the context is we would say, if something bad happens to you, you begin to say, oh, you know, God has a purpose for all things, so next week I am in fact going to get a PlayStation 4. But that's not how it works. When, when Paul says here all things, he means good and bad, right? And all things means encompassing of a larger story, right? Sometimes the good that we want to see, we will not see in our lifetime. Now, this morning I was just talking to Kuya George about the Philippines and now, oh, there's this big air of change and hope going, right? Maybe, maybe this new president will in fact change things and things will be better, but then we, we both came to the conclusion that, no, probably not, right? People are bad and it, things will just continue to get worse if we understand what scripture is saying. But we were saying we can look forward to someday understanding that there is good, right? When we see Jesus again face to face, everything will be made good. So the context of this verse is not you get good things now, but in the sum total of all things, someday we will experience good according to God's purpose. God's purpose is for not, it's not for us to live here on earth forever, right? He wants us to be reunited with him, with perfect bodies, where, where you know, in a place where we see him every day, we talk to him, and fa talk to him face to face as a friend, um, where we can eat non-fat fat. fat right? That's that heaven is, I, I'm having hypertension issues, so I have a strict diet now, and I'm looking forward to that day. So, uh, no more Korean barbecue for me. But yes, there will, <laughs> yes. but there will come a time where, where you know, God's ultimate purpose will be will be completed, and then we will see good. Right? So God is faithful to his promises and to his purpose, and God is faithful in giving us, his children, discipline. Right? What kind of father doesn't discipline his children? So now let's go back to Joseph. So Joseph, he gets this big commission, right? He becomes prime minister of Egypt. What does he do with that commission? So he goes out from the presence of Pharaoh and, through all, and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years the earth produced abundantly, he gathered up all of the food these seven years and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. 
And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure, measure it, for, he could, for it could not be measured. So what does Joseph do? He was faithful to God. First, you, you know, if you remember, I think it was your sermon, Bien, right, where he, where he was, he, his robe was taken and he says, how can I sin against God? That was it, right? So he, you already have a, uh, a glimpse into his mind when he said those words. But even here, right, he was faithful to God um, in relationship to stewardship and relations. How do we know that he's faithful based on this last verse that we read? Have you guys seen The Godfather? <laughs> Who's seen The Godfather? Have you guys seen The Count of Monte Cristo? Oh, yes. So those two, what are those two movies? They're about revenge, right? They're about revenge. So you guys watch Game of Thrones? Kids don't watch that. It's pretty dark. But those show, that show, those movies, they're all about revenge. Was Joseph in a prime spot for revenge? Yes, right? At that point, he stored all the grain. What's what to the prime? You, you have to realize Egypt was the superpower of that time, right? They had chariots. They had all the spears and stuff. Big army. Their, their civilization was so advanced. You know, actually, it's still a mystery how they put together the pyramids, right? Some people even say it's aliens, whatever. But, but they were so advanced. They were rich. They had an army. Joseph could have easily said, oh, Finally, I can get my hands on those brothers of mine, right? I'm going to send a little, I'm going to send the secret, um, the special forces, just a small group of men, and I'm going to have them abducted. I'm going to torture them, and then they're going to pay. He could have done that, right? Easily, because he was prime minister. Um, no one would have opposed him. No one would have stopped him, but... Instead of doing that, he was faithful to his task. And also, he was faithful to his relationship with God. Right? Next week, we're going to see fully what his mindset was. But um, chapter 41 offers us a glimpse of what his heart and mind contained at this point in time. So in verse 51 and 52, his, this is where um, he names his sons. So he names the first one Manasseh, which means for God has made me forget all my hardship and all of, and all of my father's house. And the second son, the second son, Ephraim, this is what your name means, E. Um, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Really, Kuya Peter? You were afflicted at the time? And it, <laughs> that was, it, things were bad in Bulacan at the time? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> right, you're the fruit of affliction, e. Uh, <laughs> um, no, no. You, uh, here we can see what Joseph Joseph's focus was. His focus when he was suffering, eventually, right. At first, you know, when Joseph was younger, when he was a teenager, he was all about himself and his glory, and you know, he was talking bad about his brothers. But now, for him, everything was about. God, right? And these names are actually beautiful because, you know, you know, 
You know how sometimes in church we we become pretentious? Meaning to say we begin we pretend that everything's okay. Have you ever talked to Christians who are like that? Oh, every if Edwin approaches me, Hadrian, I oh, you know, God is good, I'm so blessed. And have you ever met those people? None of them are here, right, in our church. <laughs> and if you're here, talk to me later. No, I'm just kidding. Um, the beauty of these names is that he's acknowledging his suffering, right? He was sober. He wasn't, he wasn't giving them these names. Um, he wasn't pretending that everything was all right. But he knew that everything in spite of everything being messy, that in the end, everything will be all right because God was there. God is with him, right? So that's the beauty of these names. Was he, in, in these names, Joseph was acknowledging that God was with him, right? So God has made me forget all my hardship. God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Joseph was faithful to God because he knew and he was confident that God is also faithful, right? He knew that God had a purpose to all his suffering. And that's what we discussed, you know, in the last point, right? He focused on God and therefore he became faithful. So when we, so how, how about us, right? How do we then become faithful people? First, right, like Joseph, we have to know that God is faithful so for us today you know hopefully none of us get thrown into a pit in order to see God's faithfulness but for us Christians today how do we know that God is faithful what did God give to us to help us know that God is that he is faithful it's on the board <laughs> Christ on the cross right Jesus on the cross is our guarantee that God will be faithful and that in spite of adverse circumstances, we will experience good someday, right? So on the cross, Jesus was sort of like Cortez, right? Wasn't he? Jesus finished his work. He finished his work. He didn't quit halfway. He was like, oh my, oh my goodness, this is so hard. Father, I've saved 50% of them, so half this church is lost, right? I've saved, it, it is 50% finished. He didn't say that, right? He stayed on the cross in spite of the pain, in spite, you know he was naked, right? He was mute, it, his flesh was ripped to shreds, his like muscles were showing, his skin was gone. He did, Isaiah says it didn't look human, right? Jesus could have, you know, if it were me, I would have quit after the beating. I would have said, I'm not really a messiah. I'm just kidding. Because that's me, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding, guys. No, it hurt. Oh. Um, but that's not Jesus, right? Jesus is not us. Jesus is faithful. He was faithful to the task that his father gave him, right? What? It, you know, watch the passion of the Christ. See how faithful he was. He was beaten up pretty bad. Apparently, they toned that down because if you really, his flesh would look like hamburger meat. If You know that one scene where they do the whip and then it got stuck and they pull it? That was actually every time. In the, you know, it didn't happen once. It happened every time. So Jesus is, 
is the perfect picture of God's faithfulness, right? And every time we remember Jesus, we know that God is faithful. So that leads us to the next point how do we of how do we become faithful? We have to become gospel-centered people. What does that mean? Um, in everything we do, the main purpose should be, as, as believers, the main purpose should be remembering and knowing what Jesus did. Right? We have to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. Now, in, in mainstream Christianity, there's, especially in the heyday of the megachurch right, uh, back in the 80s, there was this mindset about the gospel where it was relegated to being the most basic thing you had to know, you become saved, and then you leave it behind and you move on to other things. Wasn't that the case with you? That was the case for me when I was growing up. It seemed to me the way I was taught the gospel was it got you in and then you move on and you learn more advanced stuff. Gospel is basic you, and then you move on. But actually, the truth is we have to carry the gospel with us every step of the way in our Christianity, in our walk, in our faith, right? And if, you, you know, if we pay attention to our spiritual disciplines that we practice, you know, everything is designed to be that way, right? You know, how did Jesus teach us how to pray? He taught us how to pray in his name, right? When we pray in Jesus' name, what happens? We're basically saying, Lord, I'm able to pray to you because of what Jesus has done on the cross and only because so the gospel is there right when we when we do communion what's it all about and actually Jesus said that you have to do this often so you remember me what are we remembering when we do communion we remember that Jesus body was broken and his blood was spilled so actually right every spiritual discipline that we practice is designed to preach the gospel to ourselves daily Right? Because how does that help us? Um, it helps us in our it help it helps us filter everything through Jesus when we remember the gospel. Um, let's say you're having your career is going nowhere. It's terrible. You're not making money, but you're working more than you should. It's not great. When you filter that through the, through the gospel, you begin to realize, hey, I'm not working for men. I'm working for God. And because Jesus died for me, someday this work will not, all, will not be in vain. So by, actually, by remembering the gospel in the workplace, we become faithful workers, right? So the gospel is the power behind everything that we do. What Jesus did on the cross, you know, gives us the energy to... to to keep pushing on, to keep fighting, to, to keep wanting to be good, right? If we make this about ourselves and we start making like to-do lists, eventually we will fail. Because the beauty of the gospel is when we do fail, it's all right, right? When we, when we fall short, when we remember the gospel, we remember that God loves us not because we're good, but because he is good, because he is kind. So we have to become gospel-centered people. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. So when you do your quiet time, when we, when we open our Bibles, our motive should be, 
let's look for Jesus today. What does this say about God? What does this say about Jesus? Because that strengthens us, right? And lastly, as a community, we have to help each other remember Jesus, right? When we practice discipleship and accountability, we have to, we have to focus everything on Christ, right? We can't, if we, if we become legalistic, um, my wife, I, I think Sean, you were there, Sean, last Thursday, right? We were talking about, last Thursday, about being uh, pharisaical in, in terms of accountability. So when I was younger, in my early 20s, I used to teach a Bible study, and my wife was part of it. So you see how she got here. Um, but <laughs> um, I remember I used to call them up and made sure that they read their Bibles. Right? I was really a hard task. Ma- if, if you can ask her more details later <laughs> if you want. But I was pretty hard on them. But I, w- I was trying to change them by, you know, by scaring them into obeying, right? Now what I'm learning is that we should actually, we shouldn't scare the people we, um, we're, who are parts of our D group. Uh, we shouldn't scare them into obeying Jesus, but rather we should show them Jesus, right? And the more they see Jesus, the more they will want to obey, right? The more we remember Jesus. Do you guys remember the first time you held, uh, you read the you heard the gospel and it became real to you? It was amazing, right? Like yeah, when I when the gospel I was going to church for so long, but I think a- after the ninth year, somehow God opened my eyes and then my life changed. I wanted to obey God. I wanted to do right. And when we preach the gospel to ourselves, when we help each other remember Jesus, we get that explosive power again and again and again, right? So how do we become faithful people, right? We become faithful people when we become totally convinced of and confident in the faithfulness of God. Read this with me, guys. When we, be- we become faithful people, when we become totally convinced of and confident in the faithfulness of God. That's what we need to do privately and as a community, right? We have to help each other see how faithful God is to all of us. Um, Again, going back to the conversation I had with Kuya George earlier, have you guys been paying attention to the news? It's with all the transgender bathrooms and all the murders in Syria and all that stuff. The world's not in a good place, right? It's pretty bad. Um, really, what we should be longing for is the day where we will see Jesus again, where, or for the first time. Right? I haven't seen Jesus yet. But... Um, we have to long for the day where we will see Jesus for the first time. And, um, you know, he says that if we are faithful, these are the words we will, we will hear. Well done, good, faith, good and faithful servant, well done. I think as believers, we have to cultivate a hunger and a thirst for that day. I don't want us to be suicidal. That's not the point, right? But we have to... We have to long for, for that day where, where finally all our tears will be wiped from our eyes and our faithfulness will be rewarded. 
We have to long for the day where we will actually see firsthand that God is faithful, right? We've only heard of Jesus. We've, we haven't seen him. We haven't touched him. But there will come a day where we will, right? We'll get to hug Jesus. That's crazy, right? You'll get to hug Jesus. You get to, you get to bow down in front of him for reals. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for reminding us of your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you for showing us in, in the life of Joseph, Joseph, Lord, that we only become faithful people because of your faithfulness. I pray, Father, I pray for us. I pray for CCF, Lord, as, that as a community, Lord, we become focused on you, that we become obsessed with you, Lord, so that our lives change. I pray, Father, as we pursue you together, as we, as we struggle together as a family, Lord, that you use us, Lord, to bring your light to the world. Lord, the, the world is a dark place, and people need you. We need you, Lord. We pray, Father, that you use us. You use us mightily, Lord, but use us, Lord, as we fall in love with you more and more. I pray for everyone here. I pray for, for those who haven't met you yet. I pray, Father, that you reveal yourself to them. And for those who know you, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they fall deeper and deeper in love with you. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for your kindness. In Jesus' name, we humbly pray. Amen. All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you for bearing with me. So we're going to do this next Sunday again. So Pastor Insong is not here. Please, please give him good reports. No, I'm just kidding. Don't be like Joseph. Don't give me a bad report. Uh, so for discussion today, we just have two discussion prompts and questions. Number one, let's encourage one another. Uh, share moments in your life where you've seen God's faithfulness in your group. Isn't that fun? Right? I've always find that when we have D group and uh, people in our D group just share how they've been blessed by God, that always encourages me. Um, second, in what areas of your life do you think you need to grow in terms of believing in the faithfulness of God? So... Uh, there you go. Get to it. Discussion time.